Good morning. We have had some uh, difficulty with our sound. We're going to make sure that we got all that worked out between now and next Sunday. And so, Lord willing, we'll have, if we have sound difficulties, whether it's here or through the internet, that uh, we'll have that resolved. So, let me just begin by saying it's good to have David and uh, Dave and Kayleen McWhorter back. Uh, health issues have been plaguing them. And Kayleen was with her cane this morning, and uh, but she's here, and they're here, and they have been longing to be here. It's good to have them back, and what a blessing to see you this morning. And our fellowship is always more complete when, as we do, we get to meet, um, and we get to have the fellowship with one another, with the Lord, but it's a blessing. And so it's good to have you back, and uh, it is good to be assembled here this morning in the presence of the Lord to, uh, to worship God. Glenda Curtin uh, has had the, she's contracted the coronavirus. Uh, she's doing okay uh, since my last conversation with her. Uh, and then uh, Tom Welks is home. Uh, I think you know that uh, he suffered a heart attack, had to have uh, some, uh, actually a stent uh, put in, some cleaned out. Uh, he's home, he's recovering, he's doing well. Always many to pray for and on behalf of. And so uh, th- these are things that w- need to be in our heart. And uh, we need to be in constant prayer uh, for one another. I, I was reminded this week, if you go to the story of Daniel, I don't know how familiar you are with that story, but the king, this uh, foreign king, is, he uh, had had a vision. And he... He had a dream and a vision, or vision and a dream, and he'd forgotten it. And so he called his wise men together, and he said, uh, you got 24 hours. You tell me what my dream was and interpret it, or I'm going to kill you all. I mean, what a task. And so David went to his companions and um, shared the edict from the king, this evil king. And they prayed. And God heard that prayer. He was moved by that prayer, and he gave them insight. You know, Paul says, we're to pray without ceasing. Uh, I also, in my study this week in 2 Chronicles 33, if you're familiar with the story of Manasseh, uh, evil king. In fact, the scripture says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. His father was a godly man, Hezekiah. Uh, He was 12, Manasseh was 12 when he began his reign. He reigned in Israel for 55 years. You ought to, again, read the story. I'm going to preach a sermon on it fairly in the next few weeks. But with all of his wickedness, he is taken into captivity. He's in a Babylonian jail, and he lowered himself. He humbled himself and cried out greatly to the Lord. And the scripture said in his prayer that the Lord was moved by his prayer. So I I just want to say that as a point of reference this morning. We obviously, we live in trying times. The first reaction of a Christian knee-jerk reaction And when we're confronted in any circumstance is to pray, pray, pray. When you're through praying, pray some more. And so I just want to remind you that as we go to our scripture this morning. Last week, and we started this in the book of Colossians, and thank you, Mark, for your reading. Uh, But I want to focus in telling the story of Christ. We're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, lest no man boast. Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 
Uh, Romans 10 and 17, consequently faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ, the story of Christ. And really here in verse 13 in uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14, I'll reread that. For he, for God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I was going to not so much dismiss that passage, that statement in verse 14, but I was really going to elaborate on Christ as in his role in the creation. Uh, and so this week, though, in my study, I really focused on that word redemption. That's why I asked Paul to read that passage in, uh, in uh, Ruth in this second chapter and elaborate on that redemption, redemption, the story of Christ. You know, we use words like redemption and regeneration and reconciliation. In fact, Paul later on in this first chapter will talk about reconciliation. We'll preach a sermon on that. But redemption, it's not a word so much that we use um, in our modern culture here in the 20, uh, 2021 in the United States of America. It is a biblical term, redeem. Uh, and, and if you're not really sure what that means, quite simply, it means to buy back to buy back. I'm going to purchase back something. I'm going to redeem something that has been lost for whatever the reason might be. Now in Leviticus chapter 25, let me do this very quickly. Leviticus chapter 25, in God's word, in his law, he makes provision that Paul talked about, this of redemption. And, and so if we understand that Christ, in fact, uh, that we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins in him. That's part of his story, our story with him. I want to just again read just a, 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 a short, just one passage out of Leviticus 25, chapter 25, verse 25. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor, if a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor, he has to sell part of his property. Then his nearest kinsman, his nearest kinsman is to come and buy back what his relative has sold. Now, just the one verse, you can read throughout the law, this elaborate, uh, very concise understanding of what redemption means. But it ultimately had, here's what it is. This is the way the Hebrews understood it. This term really meant to be destitute. I don't know if you've ever been destitute. I don't know. Uh, I can, I always reflect uh, historically in this, in our history as a country was the Great Depression if our children have not been told about the Great Depression, they need to be told. Uh, it was a very difficult time. Uh, what it was, was it that Black Friday or Black to Black, whatever, you see the pictures there in New York and, and the stock, extent, businessmen were jumping uh, out of buildings because of the, the crash of the stock market and the country went into Great Depression. Uh, we were made destitute. We were brought low as a nation financially. I don't know if you've ever been destitute. I, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been to a place in your life where maybe you're not sure 
where your next meal's coming from. Um, if you maybe you've been kicked off, maybe somebody's made you leave a piece of property, you couldn't pay the, the rent, or maybe you've had something repossessed. It's not a good feeling, is it, to be destitute? And God in his law made a provision for his people. And that provision very clearly was if you have a relative who's become destitute, been brought low, for whatever the circumstances, in God's law, a kinsman could buy that property, hold that property for you. He would be your kinsman redeemer. And that's just in, very, in, in a short way to say that. And then this book of Ruth, we have really, it's a story of redemption. It's one of those stories. Elimelech has gone because of a drought, just paraphrasing what Paul said, uh, taking his wife, his two sons. They marry foreign women. He dies. The two sons die. And then this great uh, statement again, and Ruth is letting them go. Listen, you don't have to go with me. I'm going back home. Don't know what I'm going to find when I get there, but I'm going back home. I'm going back to where my kinfolks live. Uh, but Ruth said in verse 16, a uh, powerful statement. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. What a heart. We just read in that second chapter where uh, when she had that, she wanted to just, listen, she told her mother-in-law, let me go and glean in these fields. And by the way, the law of God, if you were Jewish and you own property, again, redemption, redemption, God's mercy, God's provision. Uh, if you own land, you were supposed to, according to the law, if the, the corners of your field, you kind of, you know, you're going to lose some grain there in the harvest, all that. He said, leave it there. Even for foreigners, people that were not of you, not Jewish, so they could come. God, God has always been a God of provision, grace, giving something to someone who's destitute and who does not deserve it. It's in his law. And so here we are in this story. And then Paul writing, which I've already said to the Colossians, that you and I today, we have redemption. You and I have redemption. We are redeemed. We're, we, have been, we have been in a place where we're destitute. We're destitute. We don't know where our next meal's coming from. There's the great burden of poverty, and not just physical poverty, but spiritual poverty. Jesus is the bread of life. But we're destitute. We need redemption. But in the law, that redemption came in the form of a kinsman, a kinsman redeemer, God's law. Now, I want to say something to you. In order for Christ to redeem you and I, according to the law, there is, he is, in fact, our kinsman redeemer. Job would say, I know that my redeemer lives. Isaiah would talk. Basically saying the same thing. We have, a redeem we have a redeemer. He is in our likeness. Now, there's three things I want you to know about kinsman redeemer. 
that have to do with you and I today. And then very clearly will illustrate for us biblically, spiritually, and even now the role of Christ, the story of Christ as our kinsman redeemer. Three things had to happen to be a kinsman redeemer. Three things. Number one, you had to have the right. You had to have the right. What do you mean? Well, you had to be a kinsman. So according to God's law and God's word, you had to be a kinsman. Now, if you remember in Job chapter 9, and I preached a sermon on this not too long ago, Job, uh, he, he had a dilemma. He had lost everything. He had become destitute. He lost his, his homes and property and his livestock, his children, his health. He, had, he was destitute. He'd been brought low. And, and he says, he has a, I have a dilemma. I, he said, I'm just a man. I can't take God to court. Job in 9, he begin verse 32 all the way through verse 35. says, I'm just a man. I can't take God to court. I need someone who can touch God and touch me. Then I would not be afraid in my bones. He needed a mediator who could redeem him in his destitute state. He needed somebody that was fully God and fully man. Now, you may be familiar with the term the son of man in Scripture. Jesus is the son of God, but he's also the son of man. And just to very clearly kind of illustrate that, if you go to the Gospel of John in chapter 1, it says, uh, and, you know, about the Word. And it said, John would say, and the Word was God, and the Word was with us. That Jesus himself, the son of God, became flesh. He was, he was made into our likeness. So God in the flesh, God incarnate, became our kinsman through Jesus Christ in our likeness and birth. But we said there was a problem. He, he was born in, into our likeness as a man, but there was still something lacking. Now, you can't miss this important biblical principle. Paul would write to the Corinthians this statement about Jesus and his death on the cross. He said, he became sin. He became sin. Jesus Christ became sin. At the death on the cross for the very purpose of redemption. He is our kinsman redeemer. And he has the right, according to God's word, his law, to be our kinsman redeemer. He was born in our likeness, and he became sin for the very purpose to have the right to redeem us. I don't know if you think about Christ that way. The second thing, kinsman redeemer, he had to have the power the power, the power to redeem us. Or in the case of Ruth, he was a wealthy man. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. He had great wealth. He was a kinsman. He had the power. Now, I don't know, you know, we sing this song, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This 
truth about the power of Christ to redeem. And then we're going to go to Titus in chapter 2. But Ephesians in chapter 1, Paul makes this statement in his opening statement. He says in verse 7 about this, the power and uh, redemption. In verse 7, chapter 1, Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. No one, no one, no one, no one has the power to redeem you as a kinsman for your sin other than Jesus Christ. Under no other name shall we be saved. Acts in chapter 11. Only the name of Christ can we be saved. Christ, the anointed king of Israel. But when you think about, yes, he has the right, but he also has the power. No one has the power to redeem you and I in our destitute state. No one except Jesus Christ. And that power, and he would go on, in the second chapter, saying in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The power of Christ to redeem the destitute, the, the spiritually destitute, was in his blood. If you go back to the law, Leviticus, it says the answer to everything, everything is in the blood. That's a powerful statement. And so you, you don't know anybody that has that power. There's never been anybody that has had that power. There's power in his blood. And the power that is in his blood is the power of a kinsman redeemer. Boaz had great wealth. He had the financial wealth to take this widow and her daughter-in-law and become a redeemer. He could do that. But no one, and when you think about it, every time we walk in and out of these doors, if you understand the message of the cross, the message is that you and I, who were far off, we were a long way. We were so far removed from God, but there was a kinsman redeemer. And it was, he had the right to be, but it was the power that was in his blood, his sacrificial blood, the blood that flowed out of his body, the blood, this crown of thorns right here. Uh, Bobby Curtin made me a crown of thorns. We put it on this cross. Uh, there's a crown of thorns. And if you just touch that anywhere on that, uh, it's brutal. It's painful. And I, we should, we should in, in our mind, in our heart, in our spirit, we ought to rethink that. They took that crown of thorns and they pressed it on his head. And the blood would flow. We think of the blood maybe from the nails. But he was also scourged and whipped. The blood was flowing from his back, from his forehead. He had prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was arrested. He said that his sweat became like blood. Apparently that is a real medical thing that can happen. His sweat became like blood. We know the story of the Exodus that on that tenth, that final plague, that the Israelites were instructed to slay a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, the, the best 
lamb and take the blood and put it over the mantle. And then this angel of death would pass over, would pass over. If we can step away from the cross and then make a connection, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. How, uh, how dry are those words? How mundane have those words uh, come 2,000 years later? Do we just read them and believe them and we're thankful? That's, or do we fully understand? Uh, you know, we, uh, we have varying degrees of suffering in our life. We do. Most of the things that we worry and we stress about are pretty mundane. Um, if you read the 11th chapter of Hebrews and you read the, the great stories of faith about the Christians that had to endure so much because of their faith. We've not suffered that. This, this moment in the life of our kinsman redeemer was a bloody, bloody, bloody horror. And that's why when he prayed in the garden, Father, take this cup from me. However, not my will, but your will be done. Because he knew the brutality. And then what eventually would kill him as, as the blood flowed out of his body and then he was on the cross and he would die of suffocation. The way the cross worked was that they nailed you up and, and you would have to lip off the nails that were in your feet, ankles, trying to get oxygen. I wasn't aware of this, but part of the crucifixion, because of everything that was happening, your lungs would be filling with blood as well. We cannot talk about redemption unless we talk about the kinsman redeemer that not only had the right because he was born in our likeness, not only had the right because he himself became sin, but he had the power. And the power was in his blood. And then the final thing that the kinsman redeemer had to have was willingness. He had to have the right. He had to have the power. And then he had to have willingness. Now, if you go to the fourth chapter of Ruth, there was actually a kinsman Redeemer, who was closer than Boaz. And so Boaz had to go make a deal. Boaz didn't need the land that would have been Elimelech's. He, he didn't need that land. He just didn't need it. If you go to the fourth chapter uh, of Ruth, so we'll just begin reading uh, in verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. There was one closer than him. That you got to obey the law, and the law said the closest relative. He said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the uh, closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, 
has uh, to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. The law says, <coughs> you're the closest relative. I got witnesses here, the elders, 10 of them. 10 meant something very specific to the children of Israel. I mean, he was doing things right, man. And he says, you know, I need to, but if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it. And I'm after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz said, see, he liked the idea of this field. But then there's the rest of the story. You and I are the rest of the story. You and I are the rest of the story. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. God is always and has always been concerned about the people that he has born, the genealogy, and the, and the, and the survival. When Jesus said in Matthew 16 to Peter, I'm going to build a church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It was the continuation. The church is the body of Christ. It's the descendants. It's the kingdom. It's the children. It's the sons of daughters. It's the genealogy of Christ. You and I are the genealogy of Christ. He is our kinsman redeemer. And so this man, he liked the idea of buying the land, but then Boaz said, hey, there's something else you need to know. Uh, the law makes provision for this, by the way. Yeah, the land's one thing. By the way, though, you're going to get a widow and a Moabite. <laughs> Woo! I don't know how that's going to go over in your household. You got two more women. And by the way, Boaz knew. There's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt in my mind Boaz knew. There's something interesting here. It, closest relative. Hmm. He calls him a friend in verse 1. Closest relative in verse 3. Closest relative in verse 6. Well, let's just keep reading. And the closest relative said, verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now, he went from, yeah, I can redeem it. Uh, Boaz, time out. <laughs> lest you forget Gethsemane. This is a powerful guy. Lest you forget Gethsemane. This is the rest of the story that has to do with kinsman redeemer. So he says, there's, a, <clears throat> there's the little <sighs> problem of a widow and a Moabite. And all of a sudden, the land wasn't appealing for whatever the reason. We can only speculate. But he went from, I can't, I cannot. <laughs> you ever try to sell a house? Somebody says, oh, I can buy it. But there's a contingency. 
Well, I, well, I can't. For whatever the reason. Now, when you think about he has transferred us from the domain of darkness and delivered us to the, this kingdom of the beloved, his son, in whom we have redemption of sin. You know what? Great statement in the book of Ephesus, in the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. He said, the manifold wisdom of God has now been made known through the church. Now, I want you to try to get something. So now, the rulers and authorities in heaven, before the church, church, I want you to hear this. Now, if you were an angel, if you were a seraphim, if you were an angel, if you were part of the heavenly creation, what he did in the heavenly, if you're looking out there and you're just seeing God, you're in the presence of holy God, and you, you're just watching all this stuff unveil, you watching Adam and Eve, oh, <laughs> boy, they couldn't keep that one rule. They were deceived by the serpent. And then, ooh, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. And then you just go on and on and on. You get to Genesis 6, it says, God was sorry that he had made man because only evil was continually on their heart. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He built an ark. And then you just keep moving forward. And the angels and the rulers and authorities in heaven, until one moment, until a moment, looked out and said, in their mind, they probably were not bold enough to do it, to say it out loud. But they didn't understand what God was doing. What is he doing? What's the purpose of all this? Where's the wisdom in it? And Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter, he said, now the manifold wisdom of God was made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. When the church was established, all the rulers and authorities in heaven, they said, oh, we get it now. We get it. We understand. You had a plan in place all the time, and it included the sacrifice of your son, who we've known. In fact, we, we live because of him. And even then, I don't think they understood it. But when on that day of Pentecost, when Jesus Christ was preached and the church was established, all the rulers and authorities, now we get it. Now we understand. Your manifold wisdom is made known to us now. You always had a plan for these godless, sinful people. And it would be in the establishment of a kingdom of godless, sinful people. But they have a kinsman redeemer. In Titus, the second chapter of Titus, see something, the third thing and I hope you get this. I, I, I do. I, I think in spiritual warfare, Satan wants uh, more than anything uh, the, the blood of Christ that we have redemption through, that we were far off. He brought us in the spiritual warfare. Satan, I think, has great joy 
when you and I, that becomes mundane. And we just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we sing it and we believe it. But have we really valued it? And the value lies for us in the willingness, the willingness of the kinsman redeemer. You saw it in Boaz. The closest relevant, by the way, they don't get, I love the names in Scripture. You go to the 16th chapter of Romans, Paul, he's like, let me tell you about this person and that person and this. And you go to Ephesians and Paul said, let me tell you about Epaphroditus. Let me tell you, I mean, he gives names to the people in the Bible that, you know, listen, you need to know this person's name. The man that could be the kinsman redeemer, we just, he's the closest relative. And when he found out what the whole contract was, <laughs> he went from, yeah, I can do that to, no, I can't do that. So in Titus, the second chapter, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and unworldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age. That's what the grace of God has done. It instructs us, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. He was willing. He was willing. He took, he took the widow, he took the Moabite, and he took a sinner like you and me. He was willing. He remains willing to this day. He's our kinsman redeemer. He has the right, he has the power, and most importantly, he has the willingness. I want those people. I want Mondo. I want Tammy. I want Rick. I want, hey, well, I want, I want you. Nobody will ever want you more than your kinsman redeemer. No one will ever want you. No one will ever love you as much. No one will ever do anything comparably. They could do the best that they could. Romans 5, we might, we might die for a good man, but that God proved his own love that while we're yet evil, man, his son, Willingly became our kinsman redeemer. I want you to leave today knowing in your heart that when you read this, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the beloved, the kingdom of his beloved son. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Before any of us were ever born, God wrote in his law that if you're destitute, and by the way, do you know what the Jews thought about somebody who became destitute or sick or ill? They thought they were out of the favor of God. You can read it in the Gospels. Jesus is walking along. There's a blind man. He's been born from birth. He's blind. And they said, who sinned? This man or his family? And God said, Neither. 
This man was born blind so that the works of God may be put on display. But people believed, and people do to this day, religious people, we see somebody, the drug addict, the alcoholic, the divorcee, the, 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 the poor, the destitute, and we immediately, yeah, well, we know what's going on there. And we devalue them. And the kinsman redeemer says, I'll take that one. I'll take them. I have the right, the power, and the willingness. And that's you and I. That's the story of Christ. And then as Paul said, something wonderful happened. <laughs> and it certainly has to do with you and I. Naomi, what Ruth got, a marriage happens. And Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. Oh, his name became famous. Could you just imagine? If you read the first chapter, if you lived in this town in Bethlehem and you see this widow, she, they had to be disheveled. And she's got this Moabite woman with her. And she comes into sight out there. She's coming. Who's that? Well, that's Naomi. Where's Elimelech and her two sons? What's she doing with that Moabite? She caused an uproar in that city. Now, the story of the prodigal son, Luke in chapter 15. You know, his son asked for his inheritance, and he went off, and he spent it with wild living and women and wine and song. <laughs> and he becomes so destitute. He says, I'll return to my father. Be, I'll become one of his servant men because, man, they have something to eat and drink. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him, his kinsman redeemer, now his father, and he ran to him. God ran. Do you understand that? If you're saved today, God has seen you in your absolute destitute. He's seen you. And he's seen you no matter how far off you are. He knows Oh, let me tell you, you have a kinsman redeemer. He has the right, the power, and the blood. Even though you are far off, he's going to bring you near. And the father of all creation will run to you. And he'll put the robe on you. And he'll put the crown on And he'll give you the ring. And he's going to have a feast for you. If you're saved today, it's because you have a kinsman redeemer who looked at you while you were still far off. And he had the right and the power and the willingness to save you. Don't diminish that. Don't water that down. Because in this story, the widow and the Moabite coming into the village a long way off caused an uproar. And a marriage happened. And a child was born. Hmm. 
And verse 22, the way the book ends is to Obed was born Jesse and to Jesse David. I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you look at the genealogy, two things happened. You and I are the descendants of the Moabite. God made a covenant with Abraham about all nations being blessed. There was the genealogy of a king, David. And there's the genealogy of a Moabite, a Gentile, you and I. Because of a kinsman redeemer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are indeed redeemed. Redeemed, redeemed. Thank you for seeing fit in your word to provide for all humanity a kinsman because he had the right and the power and the willingness to save us. While we were still a long way off, he brought us near by the blood, his blood. We give you praise and honor for that, Father. We dearly love you. And it is in the name of our kinsman redeemer, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.